What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, discipleship, and catechesis. The list goes on and on and on. I will sit with your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. If you are a first-time listener, you can come up with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.assistantpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. That will help other people to find out about this show. If it's been good for you, potentially it could be good for them as well. On today's show, we are going to be talking about uh, charisms and religious orders. How do we learn more about the different charisms of religious orders? Like, What are the differences between uh, the Benedictines and the Franciscans? We're going to also learn about homilies at Mass. Do I have to listen? You know, some people preach really well, and it builds up the body of Christ and inspires us to become saints. And other people... I tell you, man, when they preach, it is really hard and difficult to listen to what they have to say. So do I have to listen or can I just pray my rosary instead? And finally, we're going to talk about fasting during Lent and particularly fasting during Lent whenever we're pregnant, when we're expecting to give birth to a baby. But before we get into those really great questions, I want to share with you a glory story. So, glory story is this. I was praying recently. I was reminded of a story of Mother Teresa and her sisters uh, when I was praying with the Lord. It was a time whenever they had all the nuns come back home, and they had no food for the nuns because they were so focused on serving the poor that they didn't have enough food for all the sisters who were going to come back home to the mother house, the convent in Calcutta. And the sister in charge was like, Mother Teresa, what are we going to do? We don't have any food. Mother Teresa was like, that's not my responsibility. Like, I'm cleaning toilets today. It's your responsibility to provide food for the community. So you go tell Jesus. Like, I don't have time to tell Jesus that. You tell him. And so she went to the Blessed Sacrament Chapel and she told Jesus. And then they got like a knock on the door. And uh, it was these men who were outside with this big truck. And in the truck was a bunch of bread because that day the school teachers were protesting. And because the school teachers were protesting, uh, they weren't having school. Because they weren't having school, they didn't bring the bread to the school to feed the kids. So they needed to bring the bread somewhere. And they said, sisters, do y'all know who could use this bread? And the nuns were like... As a matter of fact, we do. We can use this bread. So I've been praying with that story lately. And then uh, I got a phone call today about my mass I'm doing tomorrow at one of the schools that I'm a chaplain at. And turns out that the the choir is not going to be able to to be there for the school mass tomorrow. And I was like, oh, man, like, what are we going to do? And I was thinking about, do I, do I sing solo songs? Y'all know me. Y'all know I will throw down a song. Order my steps in your words, dear Lord. And so I was like, do I sing the, throughout the Mass? Or are we just going to have a, a, a quiet Mass, a little low Mass? Um, am I going to chant the Mass parts? Song two, song two, song two, Dominus Deus Like I'm just going through my head. Like, God, what do you want me to do? And then it hits me. My good friend Meg Hunter Kilmer is in town because she's speaking at LSU tonight. 
and she's going to visit another school with me tomorrow to, to read her books to some kids. And so she's going to join me for mass at the high school I'm a chaplain at. And I was like, oh, well, she's a singer. Uh, let me see if she wants to sing all the mass parts and sing songs during the liturgy. And I called her, and she's coming through in the clutch. She said, Father, I would love to sing. Yes. So we have music, and the Lord provided, and he provided after I prayed. <laughs> I prayed, and he provided. So glory story is, uh, before we complain about life circumstances, go to Jesus and talk to the Lord, and then be open to the Lord, responding in some out-of-the-box ways that are outside of our plans. And with that, let's jump into today's show. First question comes in from Anonymous. Uh, anonymous writes this in. It makes sense why you want to be anonymous, right, for today's show because you're talking about your priest at Mass. And what if he listens to the podcast? So Anonymous writes this. Is it necessary to listen to the homily? I admire priests who aren't afraid to speak on hard topics, but I am struggling with the way my parish priest preaches on the same topic every Sunday. The fact that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, condemning poor leadership in the church and the government, matters related to the handling of the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I already have anxiety from the way these very topics cause tension in my family. I believe that God calls us to listen even to homilies we don't care for with humility. But going into a third year of this, I'm starting to really feel depressed and uncomfortable whenever we get to the homily. A family member suggested that rather than moving parishes, I should choose an out-of-the-way seat and discreetly read a book on the saints' homilies while our priest preaches. I felt unsure. Isn't the homily part of the Mass and thus mustn't participate by listening? I'm tempted by the solution, but I'm unsure anonymous. All right, so a few things. Uh, number one, I'm gonna tell you a story and then I'm gonna get into the, the mass part and, uh, yeah, and the liturgy and everything else. Uh, so, and then finally, the last point remind me to make is, should you just go somewhere else sometimes for worship? So number one, story time with me. When I was in seminary, I had two professors. I had great seminary formation. I had a really, really solid seminary formation. Some of the best professors ever, Dr. Brant Petrie, Dr. Chris Baglow, Dr. Tom Neal, Dr. Nathan Eubank. A really, really solid group of disciples, Dave Liberto, like so many of them who are my professors, and I'm so grateful for their formation. But I did have two, two professors who were super sketchy. And, um, and I remember I stopped listening to them when they would teach in their class. And instead of listening to them, I'd pray my rosary, Divine Mercy Chaplets. Uh, I would do a lot of other really good things. And then one day I was in spiritual direction with my uh, spiritual director of good memory, Monsignor Fitzgerald, who passed away a number of years ago. And I told my senior Fitz, I said, my senior Fitz, you'd be so proud of me. Uh, I have been ignoring these two professors who are heretics. And instead, I've been praying the rosary and more divine mercy chaplets for their salvation. And he said to me, he said, Josh, I am so disappointed in you. And I was like, what? How are you disappointed in me? And he said, I'm so disappointed in you because you are so prideful. He said, you've admitted to me that you pray a holy hour every day right now. So every day I spend an hour with God in the Adoration Chapel. And he said, and you've admitted that during your holy hours, it's really dry. And it's really silent. You can't hear God speak and you can't perceive the voice of God. He said, what if God wants you to go to those holy hours to just look at him as he looks at you for an hour because he loves you so much? And what if God wants to talk to you outside of that? Like you can't control when God speaks. You can't say, God, I'm, I'm going to sit in the chapel from six to seven and you need to speak from six to seven. You can't tell God what to do. He said, what if God just wants to sit with you then and God wants to speak to you throughout the day through your professors who you are not listening to? 
said, you're prideful. That's what the devil does. The devil ignores people who are made in the image of God. He said, I want you to listen to them. I want you to write down notes of what they say in class. And yes, some of what they say is not good, true, or beautiful, but I want you to sit down and write notes of what they said in class and then take their notes to your prayer time and do Lexio Divina. Read, what do they say? Meditate, what does that say to me? Talk to God about what it says to you and sit with it. And then come up with further questions to ask them in the next class period. And I guarantee you, you're going to hear God's voice through them. And it was beautiful. I was able to throw out the bathwater but keep the baby. And I was also finally, after months and months of silence, I was able to hear God's voice speak to me through my professors, who I did not want to listen to. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is, even though it's difficult, if you're going to stay, to bring a pen and paper and write down notes of what your priest is saying, because potentially you might be invited by the Lord to throw out some of the bathwater but keep the baby. There might be little nuggets in there where God is trying to communicate something to you. And the only way you're going to hear what he has to say is if you actually listen to someone who's very difficult to hear um, and pray with it. Number two is when we disengage from the homily, uh, what we're doing is we're disengaging from, from the liturgy. Even though a homily is sometimes lackluster, if we disengage from it, it it's going to be very difficult for us to refocus on the rest of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. If we break our interior participation in the liturgy, it will lead to a, a break from the rest of the liturgy as well. So I would encourage you uh, to pray for the gift of prudence. And after you've prayed with your priest homilies, go to him and sit with him and maybe give him some feedback of what he could, like what he is saying that's really impacting your heart and what he is saying that's really helpful. And then what he is saying that is not so helpful for you to become a saint. Um, and finally, if all those fellows, you don't have to go to Mass at your parish. You can still be a member of your parish and go worship somebody somewhere else. Uh, so your responsibility is to people in your geographical boundaries of your parish, but you don't have to go to Mass there. You could tie there. You could do a Bible study there. You could serve the poor there, but you can go worship somewhere else. So you don't have to go to Mass in that parish. So if you continue to experience um, a difficulty with worship of God, then just worship Him at another Catholic church in your diocese. So hopefully that was helpful. All right, next question comes in from Will I Am William. He writes about different religious orders. Very simple question. What are the different Catholic religious orders and what are their differences? All right, so great question. So first of all, difference between diocesan priests and religious priests, and then we'll get to religious orders. Diocesan priests, we discern a place, a land. Religious priests discern a charism. Same thing for religious sisters and brothers as well. They're discerning a charism. So, uh, what are the differences? Well, first, let's look at the similarities. If one is called to religious life, then one's called to community, a community who lives out a particular charism. And most religious orders, whether they are Benedictines or Dominicans or Carmelites or Franciscans or Jesuits, uh, they have some kind of rule of life where they have some community prayer, where they have some community meals, where they have particular community apostolate and work in ministry. They have time for private prayer. They have time for study of their founders' charism, original charism. Um, and they all participate in the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Now, the poverty will look different depending on the, the order. So if one is called to a contemplative order like the Benedictines, then the poverty means you don't personally own anything, right? But your order, your monastery, does and can receive money that the community discerns how it spends. And so you can, you know, get a lot of money over time and have millions of dollars in your community and use that money to 
continue to build onto your monastery or your farm that you have in your monastery, or, or if you are uh, teaching a seminary like a lot of monasteries do in America, it could go to your ministry of your seminary work, right? So uh, it's you're, you have a personal vow of poverty where you don't own money. You can't spend how you want, but your community can discern how that money is to be spent. Whereas the vow of poverty for Franciscans looks a little bit different for Franciscans who are mendicant, they're more active order, though they are still contemplatives in action, uh, their poverty is based on the generosity of other people. So they entrust everything to divine providence, that God's going to come through. And so a lot of Franciscan orders, not all, but most, will not actually have a bank account and they will just take what the Lord gives to them. And so there's like a radical dependence on on the Lord to provide for all of their needs so to walk toward eternity. Another thing that all religious orders have in common is they have stages of formation. You have people who come in to, who are aspirants, who are just visiting, you have postulants, you have novices, you have first vows, you have second vows, you have final vows. So within different religious orders, there's a period of formation as you are discerning with that particular group of people if they have the capacity to accompany you toward eternity, and if you are growing in holiness while you're with them, if you feel called to stay there. So when you go to a convent or to a monastery, or to a friary, or to a community, you're going to like, you're dating them essentially to find out like, are we, do we, do we mesh well? Do we work out well? And you might find out that you don't. So I know a lot of people who entered orders and they left better people, but they realize while they're in the order that though the order is a good order, it's just not good for them or they're not good for the order. And so it's okay to leave. Uh, again, th- there are two branches of religious life. There are those who are contemplatives, who do some action in their in their solitude, uh, in the cloister, right? And then there are those who are actives, who I call contemplatives in action. So they all pray, uh, but like the contemplatives pray, I'll say a lot more, a lot more, and, and dedicates like their work is their prayer. A lot of their work is their prayer, right? So they will pray. Uh, five to seven of the offices and maybe chant them. They'll have extended time for adoration or devotionals. Obviously, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, they might focus more on liturgy as their work that they focus on. Whereas active orders, they pray throughout the day, but they don't always pray in community. They pray some offices in the community, maybe morning, evening prayer, and the rest they do on their own. They do a personal holy hour, but not necessarily a communal holy hour. They go to Mass every day. They might have a devotion to the rosary. So there's different orders have different uh, flavors. And so as you're discerning, it's like, do I feel called to an order where they have more stability, like the Benedictine monks and Carthusians and Trappists, where the, once you go somewhere, you stay there forever? Um, and some, you know, Carmelite convents, cloistered convents, like the, you, you enter, you never leave. Or, or do I feel called to travel the world um, and serve the poor or, or teach or preach or heal? Well, then I'm, I, I'm not really feeling the need to, to, to look at a community that doesn't go out. And so I want an active order, a contemplative active order. Uh, so you need to find out what orders are out there, go visit them, uh, discern what the founder's vision of their charism was um, and how faithful are the current communities to that original vision. And then after that, if you feel like the community is able to help you to, to abide with Jesus, to grow in holiness, then potentially stay there. And if you feel that that community is, is good, but it's not good for you, then, then don't stay there. There are a number of really good new communities too who I would recommend you check out. The Servants of the Period Hearts of Jesus and Mary, they are in order of sisters and brothers and priests, based out of Miami, but they're all over the world. They're a phenomenal new um, order. They're charismatic, they're contemplative, they're Eucharistic, they're Marian. Uh, there's the Holy Family Sisters of Nazareth. Uh, they are all over, but particularly they're in, I know, in, uh, in Texas, and there's the Daughters of St. Paul. Um, there's the Mercedarians of the Blessed Sacrament. 
uh, the poor friars and nuns of Jesus and Mary, the community of Jesus Christ crucified right here in Louisiana. So there's a lot of really cool orders out there. So I just would encourage you to go and spend time with them and and, and pay attention to like which one do you think uh, would help you to grow in, in your relationship with the Lord and then potentially discern with them if you're being invited by the Lord to, to stay there. Is this for my holiness or is it not for my holiness? That's the discernment for for everything. Also, and, and then too, like, you might want to, as a Benedictine, you can have like a personal devotion to, to Mary and like you're, you're seeing chants to Mary after night prayer and stuff, but they don't typically pray like community rosaries in most Benedictine monasteries. So you'd be praying that as a personal devotion. So do you feel called to like a, have a personal devotion to our Blessed Mother or do you feel called to like an order that prays the rosary all day long, like Dominicans? Uh, so again, like in, in Carmelites. So um, yeah, hopefully that was Helpful. Hopefully it was helpful. But it's a gift to the church. Consecrated life uh, is for people who are moved by the Holy Spirit uh, to follow Christ more nearly, uh, to give themselves to God who is loved above all and pursue the perfection of charity and the service of the kingdom, whether it's through your hidden prayers and sacrifices or through your prayers, sacrifices, and works in the world. All right, we're going to take a quick break. and we get back, we're going to dive into our final question from Julia about pregnancy, fasting, and Lent. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Fratt has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we're back. Quick reminder, you can meet up with your own questions at www.essentialpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can rate us and review us on iTunes and podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, the rest of those formats out there. And you can share us on your social media pages if it's good for you. Potentially, the show could be good for others as well. Julia writes this. Hey, Father Josh, thank you for all you do. I'm expecting my first baby, my number one. And I'm trying to figure out what Lent should look like for me. I've been told that I don't have to fast or abstain because I'm pregnant, but honestly, I don't think it would be hard for me to do something. Do you have any advice on how pregnant women can still do something for Lent, but maybe not as intense as other people? Yeah, Julia, I do. So I'm not a doctor, so I'm definitely not going to touch on food uh, intake for you and your baby, but I can talk about other goods you can fast from, such as television and social media. Fast from secular books and secular shows and secular podcasts during Lent and prioritize religious shows and religious podcasts, uh, religious videos, religious books. Fast from speaking a lot, if you talk a lot, I don't know if you do or not, and prioritize listening more and then really praying more with what people say. Fast from having the phone um, or any kind of like media with you at the dinner table. Maybe have a, a family screen-free Sunday with you and your spouse where Every Sunday, y'all could avoid the screens together and have a more intentional time of prayer with each other and conversation with each other. Maybe go serve the poor together um, at the soup kitchen or the woman's shelter in your community. But I just would encourage you to, to fast from those things. Maybe fast from the radio when you're in the car driving. Use that time to pray an extra rosary or to listen to praise and worship music or to sit in silence with the Lord or to talk to God through spontaneous prayer. 
So there are a number of like creative things that you could do that won't involve food, which I'm not going to address with you because you're pregnant and I'm not a doctor. And so I don't want to get in those waters. But I do think whether you're pregnant or not, you are still invited by the Lord to live somewhat of a penitential life and ascetical uh, lifestyle so that you can abide in a deeper intimacy with God and receive more of his love and share his love with your baby and your baby daddy, your husband. With that being said, let's go ahead and pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful season of Lent. We ask that you give us the graces that we need to fast, to pray, and to give alms in a way that bears supernatural fruit for the people and the geographical boundaries of our community. In a particular way, God, we ask that you send your angels and your saints to ministers of the people in Ukraine and in Russia right now. Console them, intercede for them, protect them, provide for them what they need so that there can be peace in their land. We ask this prayer, Father God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. I shall. I look forward to continuing our walk with each other. By the time you hear this podcast, I will be in Mexico on a mission. So pray for me and our focus missionaries and our students at LSU. Deuces.